health information from experts, supported by research. From University of Utah Health, this is thescoperadio.com. Amyloidosis is a rare and possibly debilitating disease, which affects about 4,000 people a year in the United States. If left untreated, the disease can cause severe organ damage, so early detection is critical. Dr. Aman Godera is an amyloidosis specialist at Huntsman Cancer Institute. Dr. Godera, first of all, what causes this disease? So amyloidosis is a rare and complex disease where a protein misshapes itself, becomes the amyloid protein, and then deposits in different organs of the body causing damage. So it like collects in different organs. Correct. And for each patient, it could be a different organ. It could manifest itself differently. The type of protein that's behind amyloidosis could affect what type of organ is involved in the body. And the diagnosis for a lot of patients can be kind of an aha moment because it can manifest in different ways. Like somebody could be experiencing some sort of uh, abdominal pain and just really can't track down what it is and it ends up being amyloidosis. Explain that a little bit more, that aha moment. So the diagnosis of amyloidosis can be very challenging because as, as we mentioned that there are several different types of protein that can cause several different manifestations in the body. So usually when a patient is being diagnosed with amyloidosis, the diagnosis requires a biopsy of an organ or a tissue in the body that we suspect would be involved with the amyloidosis. Uh, there have been some newer developments in diagnosing amyloidosis, and that's the type of a nuclear scan that we have started using to diagnose a type of amyloidosis that we call as the ATTR amyloidosis. Depending on the type of organ that's being damaged by the amyloidosis, the symptoms could vary along. If someone's heart is being damaged with amyloidosis, usually patients with heart damage from amyloidosis experience shortness of breath, they experience swelling in their legs, and when they go to see a cardiologist, they are usually identified to have heart failure. When amyloidosis affects the kidneys, it can cause leakage of protein in the urine, which can manifest itself as a foamy urine. Sometimes patients with amyloidosis have involvement of their nerves, and that can manifest as painful neuropathy involving their arms or their legs. So when somebody's experiencing some of those symptoms, they might go to their, their family doctor, right? And it sounds like this could be a lot of different things. Is it pretty easily misdiagnosed at first? As the diagnosis for amyloidosis is so challenging, misdiagnosis occur often because the type of symptoms that come along with amyloidosis can occur from other diseases and other conditions. If a patient is experiencing symptoms of heart failure, that could manifest from a different number of reasons when patients have kidney dysfunction that can also occur from a list of different conditions that can damage the kidneys. So often at the point of care when these patients are experiencing symptoms that might be related to amyloidosis, the patients end up seeing multiple different types of specialists before they are diagnosed with amyloidosis. And there are certainly some delays in diagnosis that on an average, patients take 6 to 12 months to be diagnosed with amyloidosis from the time their symptoms started. And that's important because time is really important with this diagnosis because the damage to that particular organ keeps occurring. The damage from amyloidosis is progressive damage. So the longer we are taking to diagnose amyloidosis, the more damage would occur in that organ that's being affected by this disease. So timely diagnosis is of utmost importance. Patients who are diagnosed earlier in the course of disease might have damage to that organ that could be reversible at that point. But ultimately, if we miss a diagnosis and it takes 
a really long time for a patient to be diagnosed with amyloidosis that damage to the kidney or to the heart could end up being an irreversible damage that even treatments would not be able to recover from that's really challenging because as a as a as a person that has a condition you know sometimes you have to go through some multiple diagnoses to figure out what it is is there any any piece of information that a patient might have that would indicate earlier than later that it is an amyloidosis So patients who are suspected to have amyloidosis usually require a comprehensive evaluation to identify the type of amyloidosis and to identify the manifestations of it. So the workup depends quite a bit on the type of amyloidosis that we are suspecting. If we are suspecting light chain amyloidosis that occurs from the excess of light chains, the first and the foremost test that we perform for those patients are blood and urine testing to identify if they have an excess of light chains which could ultimately be causing amyloidosis. If patients have an excess of immunoglobulin light chains in their blood or urine, the next step for those patients is to have a bone marrow biopsy to identify any clone in the bone marrow that might be producing these excess light chains and ultimately the amyloidosis. The other type of amyloidosis that we commonly see is the ATTR amyloidosis which occurs of a defect in the transthyretin protein that is being produced by the liver. Patients who have ATTR amyloidosis could either be patients uh, who have developed this type of amyloidosis because of old age or uh, this is this could also be the type of amyloidosis that runs in the family. So if we are suspecting a patient with ATTR amyloidosis and we suspect that they have some cardiac damage from it, uh, there is a nuclear scan of the heart that can help us identify this type of amyloidosis. This scan is called as the PYP scan. Patients who have a more genetic form of ATTR amyloidosis, we have genetic testing that can be done either through a swab or a blood test that can help us identify the hereditary type of ATTR amyloidosis. How reliable are these tests? When patients uh, undergo evaluation for amyloidosis, the blood and the urine testing usually helps indicate whether or not there is any damage that's occurring to the different organs in the body that we would suspect in a patient with amyloidosis. So they only tell us to a certain extent. Ultimately, patients would require either a tissue biopsy on or an organ biopsy to see that amyloid accumulation happening in that organ to to have a confirmation of this type of diagnosis. Many patients find information on the internet when it comes to this disease that can cause anxiety and apprehension. Why is that? I think the answer answer to that lies in the complexity of the disease. When patients look up for amyloidosis, one thing that they might not know at that time is the type of amyloidosis that we are suspecting that they have. Because the the workup for amyloidosis, the treatment for amyloidosis, and the prognosis of amyloidosis depends a lot on the type of amyloidosis that they have. So the information on the internet might not be very accurate to the effect to the type of amyloidosis that these patients have. And the generalized information can create a lot of confusion and apprehension. So somebody could find out they have amyloidosis, but not exactly know what kind go to the internet, start doing some research, and then that, that can be a scary place. I think uh, that's correct because, so when we see patients refer to us for amyloidosis, uh, patients have very limited knowledge as to what this disease entails and, and why this diagnosis is being suspected. So my job uh, for my patients is to explain them why this suspicion exists and what do we need to do to identify whether or not they have amyloidosis. 
because the information that's available for the patients before they have completed their evaluation could be very generalizable and might not be important to the type of amyloidosis that they have. And let's talk about treatments for the condition. So you have a positive diagnosis, you know what kind it is, you know what it's impacting. I would imagine that the treatments that you would give depend a lot on the same kinds of things we've talked about up until this point. So as, as there are so many types of amyloidosis that can inflict damage into the body, the treatment basically depends on the type of amyloidosis. So there have been a lot of developments and a lot of exciting work has been done for patients with amyloidosis in the last few years. So when we, when we see patients with light chain amyloidosis, just last year we had a treatment that is specifically developed for patients with light chain amyloidosis that was approved by the FDA. This is a combination of four medications together that not only results in eradication of the clone that causes amyloidosis, but also helps improve the heart, kidneys, or any other organs that might have been damaged as a, as a part of this condition. So patients who have transthreatening amyloidosis have two different types of treatments available for them. One treatment focuses on stabilizing the transthreatening protein and preventing it from turning into amyloidosis. And the other type of treatment targets the liver and prevents it from producing the transthreatening protein so that ultimately you cut out the source that would be causing amyloidosis. So there's been a lot of progress and a lot of other new treatments that are in clinical trials for these two types of amyloidosis. For several other types of amyloidosis, we don't have any treatments available yet. And for those patients... Is it just managing the disease best you can, managing the symptoms? What's the strategy? So patients who have types of amyloidosis that we don't have treatments for, our focus remains on the organs that are afflicted from this disease. We try to support the organs that are damaged as a part of amyloidosis. And sometimes these patients uh, will end up receiving a kidney transplant or a liver transplant or a heart transplant, depending on what type of organ was damaged, irrespective of whether or not we have any treatments available for that type of amyloidosis. The first and the foremost thing for patients with amyloidosis is to identify these patients at the earliest because uh, the sooner we take to diagnose this condition, the sooner we can, we can try to reverse this process. So delays in diagnosis can ultimately hurt the patients. So we have to create awareness at all levels of our healthcare system to identify these patients who might or might not have amyloidosis so that they undergo the appropriate workup and have a confirmation on whether or not they have this condition. So we need to create awareness not just at the level of the primary care doctor, but also the specialists that our patients see. And at the same time, we also have to increase the awareness about this rare disease with our patients so that if they have one of the symptoms that we relate with this condition, these uh, our patients can come to us and, and be evaluated uh, for this suspicion. Uh, the one thing that uh, patients with amyloidosis require is a comprehensive evaluation. So when we suspect amyloidosis in a patient, our patients uh, require a multidisciplinary team to not just help identify whether or not they have amyloidosis, but also once the diagnosis has been confirmed, we can focus not just on the cause of what's causing the amyloidosis, but also help out support the organs that are damaged as a part of this disease. So at the amyloidosis program at Huntsman Cancer Institute, 
our patients receive care under a team of specialists that includes representation from cardiology, nephrology, and neurology to provide the best possible care that our patients need. Have a question about a medical procedure? Want to learn more about a health condition? With over 2,000 interviews with our physicians and specialists, there's a pretty good chance you'll find what you want to know. Check it out at thescoperadio.com.